Scatters podcast episode 170 here. Now, we ended the last episode with uh, Mark running down one of the great video games of all time in Spider-Man and X-Men Arcade's Revenge um, to the point where so much hate has been slung our way. None of this is true, of course. Uh, that thing is a horrifying abomination of what good video games are. We did many years ago, Phil. We did our favorite video games, right? Something we're probably going to need to revisit uh, at some point, because this is these in the days before a lot of the ones that have come out recently may have supplanted those that we played back then. But building off of Mark's brave foray into waters that no human should chart once, let alone twice, um, we have decided that we are going to compile our own brief list of soul crushingly disappointing video games, those video games. Um, not necessarily the worst video games we ever played, but perhaps those, um, that they were on our radar. We were anticipating, looking forward to them. Yet once they were on our screen, there was nothing we could do to convince ourselves it was worthy of our time. And it took a piece of us, perhaps a piece that we'll never recover. Uh, we're going to do this in our traditional way. We're going to give our two honorable mentions and then rotate around to our um, our most soul-crushing video game experience. All right, I'm going to go ahead and kick things off here. Uh, my first dishonorable mention, as it were, is Resident Evil 5. Uh, I hear that Resident Evil 6 is far worse, but this came off of the classic resident evil 4 and retained none of the gameplay flow of resident evil 4 stereotypes that even the most difficult to offend would find revolting frustrating to keep your partner alive to me it felt like one long escort mission okay my second dishonorable mention gary you and i experienced this together it's duke nukem forever we spoke about this i believe it was last month didn't make my top spot because i think we didn't want to admit it but we knew it was going to suck, but we went through it together anyway. All right. Those are my two dishonorable mentions. Let's keep this rolling. Mark, what do you got? Uh, well, we've already played one of mine in the last episode, Spider-Man and X-Men Arcade's Revenge. I, you could listen to the whole rundown of that one. I'll leave it at that, except to say that we should have known something when they picked Arcade as the villain. Huh. <laughs> uh, my second is Batman Begins for the PS2 game looked like it had so much potential coming out stealth action scare the hell out of your enemies do this do that and you find out scaring enemies involves throwing a batarang at the one thing in the level that it will let you throw it at sneaking to the exact same place batman's animations look like a drunken chimpanzee and the game's basically splinter cell for dummies Oof. uh thought it was going to be good at least in the driving sequences because they were the tumblr scenes were done by criterion games who did the burnout series but it just involves running over the same car over and over and over again. So, yeah, that's that's my second. All right. Matt, what do you got? No, I, don't play, I haven't played a lot of video games, actually, uh, in recent memories. And I've been fortunate for the ones that I've been uh, that I've picked up. They've been heavily recommended to me. Um, however, the ones that I've done on my own, you're going to notice a particular theme here, as well as we get to my retro review. Uh, I really did dive headfirst into the Assassin's Creed series that came out, starting with Assassin's Creed 2 and followed by Brotherhood. 
Um, but my first dishonorable mention is actually just well, my only dishonorable mention. I'm sorry, uh, is actually going to be the third in the Ezio trilogy, which is going to be uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations. It just wasn't all that good. Um, some of the gameplay mechanics are really, really interesting. I know they did some interesting things with it, but there was just aspects of it that you can kind of see them straying away from the two things that or some of the things that had made the original two in that trilogy really, really good. Um, so my first dishonorable mention is going to be Assassin's Creed Revelations. Just did not care for, uh, didn't care for. It. I finished it because I needed it, the completest component, but that was it. Just quick question: Was that the Revolutionary War one? No. But now I feel like you're foreshadowing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, you are required to have uh, two dishonorable mentions. So your other one is Zuzu Pets Dance Party. Sure, why not? Uh, I was going to say Parappa the Rapper, but that I can honestly... I don't whoa, know. That's a great game. Parappa the Rapper is a great game. Hey, I know. I was just trying to think of like, crappy games that I don't remember playing Matt, that much. <laughs> punch, it's all in your mind. If you want to test me, I'm sure you'll find the things they'll teach you are sure to beat you, but nevertheless, you'll get a lesson from the teacher. And Parappa the Rapper. <laughs> Gary, what do you got? Oh, wow. You guys just reminded me of what I had forgotten about. But, um... <laughs> I don't know if these are necessarily soul-crushing, but, okay, the, the, the first one of my dishonorable mentions was from the Atari 2600. It was Riddle of the Sphinx. Um, again, not necessarily soul-crushing, but this happened a long time ago, and it still bothers me. So, um, basically, this was like the desert version of downhill skiing, and you were being shot at, or people were throwing stones at you, there are scorpions... There's an occasional Egyptian god, and you got down to the very bottom of the screen, and you're supposed to do something, and I never found out what that was. So I made it through this entire game and didn't know how to end it. And this is, of course, before the internet, you know, before they had, you know, uh, player's guides. You know, there, there was no, well, let me look this up. You know, it just, I, it, I was just stuck. Okay. Uh, my second dishonorable mention, Darren, as you mentioned, uh, Duke Nukem Forever. Um, there may or may not have been a midnight release party that uh, was attended for this game. Um, there was. Let's admit it. We already did admit it, I think. <laughs> That's there, how there cool was, we were back in 2011. There was a lot of hype, and right? um, none of it was, was lived up to. Like I said, I think we got stuck on a board where we had to drive a remote control car in some locked room in order to get a key to get into the room. I don't know. I think that's as far as we made it. So I don't even think we got an hour of playtime out of that game before we just kind of threw our hands up and walked away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. All right, Phil. Let's, uh, let's wrap this little portion up of the... Right, so crushingly disappointing video games we've experienced. So we're not allowed to talk about Superman sixty four. Like we're just ignoring that game, right? Uh I think it is sort of the poster child of soul crushingly disappointing video games. Uh, all right, so let's ignore that one for now. Yeah. Uh, my my first dishonorable was Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Really, boy, recent. At, well, yeah, well, think about how much I love The Witcher three. That game was so great. Project CD Red is coming out with this new game. It's going to be all this cool cyberpunk game. Played for five minutes, got my refund, <laughs> never went back. I hear it's fine, really? but nope. Sorry, bad. Phil, could you repeat that? You played for five minutes and what happened? 
So it was so bad and notoriously bad that even the digital copies, you could receive a full refund for the game because it was that bad. Wow. Oh, yeah, that was a bug-laden mess, right? Yeah, it was ugly. It was not not good. So Cyberpunk 2077 was my first. My second is The Last Guardian, which was the follow-up after Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, yeah. So not a terrible game. It's not a terrible game. But it's it was a major letdown because, one, we waited five to ten years for it to come out after they showed, like, gameplay of it. And the premise was you're like this kid that has like this weird, like giant creature that comes around and you solve puzzles with it. The problem is the giant creature is an idiot and it doesn't actually follow any of the things that you tell it to do, even though you're doing the button inputs correctly. Like the idea was like, it was like, it was meant to not completely listen to you all the time, like realistically, but it got to the point that it was so irritating that I maybe got an hour to the game and I just went, nope, not worth my time. There's an episode of the panel scanners from several years ago where you talk about that and the way you talk, it is like you just got back from a funeral. I remember this. Yeah. It's, it bums me out because I was really excited for it and it just did not, it just did not. Yeah. I want to go back and revisit it because I think I have more patience now, but there's so much better stuff to play. So why, why do it? So The Last Guardian is my second dishonorable. All right, so now we're going to get to the root of all evils with us. And uh, it's the most soul-crushingly disappointing video game there is. And I could have gone a lot of directions with this. I like, I know not to touch a hot stove. I knew not to play Superman 64 based on everything I'd heard it. So I never did experience how bad it was, and I never intend to. My soul-crushing disappointing video game most recently i decided to go with major league baseball 2k19 now i did not play any sports simulation since espn last had their nfl license in like 2002 it was excellent um but then i never i just stopped playing sports simulations after that in 2018 i was gifted nhl 2018 and it was magnificent the the my career mode uh, allowed for so many gameplay options. I chose to come up through the Columbus Blue Jackets organization, played a full season in the minor leagues, which I thought was super cool. So I played as a Lake Erie, then Cleveland monster in the AHL and was called up early in my second season to play for the Columbus Blue Jackets. The game action had you playing in shifts, just like actual hockey. You could fast forward through the shifts that you were not on the ice for. It was truly, truly brilliant and super fun. So I decided, because I was having so much fun, to look into Major League Baseball, because I'm more of a baseball fan than hockey, and they were touting their career mode, which could have you start in spring training, then go to double-A, then triple-A, then the majors and EA was even showing screenshots of renders from minor league stadiums all around the country, meaning you would not play in some generic minor league stadium. You would play in each of the authentic parks beginning in double A. That's awesome. Meaning you would come up in the then Cleveland Indians organization, play as an Akron rubber duck at Canal Park. Then you could play in the Eastern League 
Uh, or you can play in the Eastern League within AA, in all the AA stadiums. So you're going to play at Canal Park, your home games. But in the Eastern League, you're going to go to all the other stadiums and you're going to have those stadiums too. Um, then you can play as a Columbus Clipper in Huntington Park and all the internationally AAA stadiums. It was too good to be true. And it was not true. Firstly, here's the first problem. You could not control which team you wanted to play for. You had to enter a draft at random, and it was just going to throw you into any one of the 30 Major League Baseball teams. I ended up getting drafted by the Devil Rays five times, and I, I, I got upset. They finally made a workaround that was ridiculous. And it took me, like, the first, like, three times, like, I tried to play this thing. I'm going online trying to figure this out, how I could manipulate it so I ended up going into the Indians organization. Secondly, there were no minor league stadiums. Only a few minor league teams. You just they ended up having like eight minor league teams that were generic minor league teams, and they were all connected to all the rest of the thirty teams. And you could not advance the game to your instance, meaning if you were playing as a batter, you had to wait and sit through all the other batters in the game before you got to your part. Um, you could seriously play as a fielder in the field, but you could go. You know, let's say you're playing uh, right field and it's all right-handed batters or left field. Yeah, right field. You can sit there at a full game and not do a thing. Um, if you were a pitcher, you couldn't actually select to control the hitting at all. Um, it, it was one frustrating, boringly frustrating experience. Also, I decided to be a pitcher after three starts, none of which lasted more than three innings giving up nine home runs and sporting an era ERA of 21.23, I got called up to the majors. So there's your accurate. Um, and by the way, that was in spring training. I went, I didn't even go to double or triple A. I went straight to the majors with a 21.23 ERA, people. Um, must have been the uh, Baltimore Orioles organization. All right, so that's my soul crushing. It was all about the hype. Nothing was delivered. Mark. I I wrestled long and hard over what my number one was going to be, and uh, I have to do it. I have to say it. It is Superman 64. It has to be. It had such potential to bring Superman into a 3D world, and it's awful. It, it's the, the distance fog is crazy bad. It's like Superman's Metropolis is Silent Hill. 90% of the game is flying through rings. I don't know how this saves Lois and Jimmy. I don't get it. And the controls are just bad to the point where stopping flying, it's easier instead of trying to land, just flying into a wall and watching him drop. It's um, just so many rings. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know. Um, Superman's animation when he flies is hilarious too. Like when he changes directions, he flails his arms like a rag doll. It is just look up videos of it online. If you haven't seen it, it's hilarious, but it's just, you know, it's one of those that came out in 1999 and super Mario 64, which came out in 1996, three years prior compared to Superman 64, Mario 64 looks like a freaking PS3 game. I mean, it is the graphical difference is insane for something that came out three years later. That hype video they put out, though, man. Oh, yeah. It's, and, you know, I was a big fan of Superman, the animated series, so I thought this could be something. I didn't have an N64, but I knew people that did. 
And when I finally played the game, I was like, oh, my. <laughs> when we saw that video, we all thought, this is a system buyer. We're going to buy the system for this game. Fast forward to 2022, I still don't have an N64. Yep, yeah, and if it's on the basis of that game, nor should you. Nope. <laughs> oh, that's that's all I got. Matt? We're kind of touching on it with my last thing uh, with my dishonorable mention. Uh, my the one that kind of broke my heart a little bit because uh, I was really looking forward to because I thought the premise was actually really really cool is going to be Assassin's Creed Three. Um, so that's the one that uh, takes place in 18th century America. Obviously, we've got the backdrop of the Revolutionary War. Um, got a lot of potential for some really cool stuff, especially when you consider that um, the the background of the primary character Connor uh, and his lineage and things like that, where his, who his father was and all this other stuff. Uh, the unfortunate part is it's like somebody said, hey, what are some of the most fun aspects of Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood? Okay, let's go ahead and not put those in the game <laughs> at all. Um, so it was kind of frustrating. Um, there was no building. Like, you couldn't really, I don't know, you couldn't really strengthen your character's arsenal. There were some really cool things about it. Obviously, the graphics are beautiful. Um, I, I, the setting is amazing. I mean, it really is. There are some really cool aspects to it. Um the problem is that there weren't a whole lot of really tall buildings uh, in revolutionary America. So some of the fun aspects that you might have running around Florence, Italy or in Rome, for example, um, you don't have any of those things in this. And so it can be really, really frustrating. Um, I know some people really enjoyed the boat play uh, that obviously spawned the, the follow-up, which is Black Flag. I did not care for it. I found it really, really irritating. And I found like it, it felt like it lagged. I, I was, I don't know. I, I appreciate more of the swords and the running around and stuff like that. Um, uh, but of course, he allowed you to have a two-hand attack, which is really kind of interesting. Um, I like the fact that he had a tomahawk for a weapon. I thought that was pretty cool. But all, all in all, I just found the game so boring. And then I remember telling somebody at the time, I felt like I was watching more cutscenes than I was actual gameplay. And so that was kind of frustrating. It felt like... You know, I, I was getting these like four minute long, five minute long cutscenes, and that's probably not accurate. Probably is closer to like a minute and a half or two minutes, which does feel like an eternity when all you want to do is play this stupid game. But that's okay. it. If you want four or five minutes, go for uh, Metal Gear Solid Four. Yeah, <laughs> there's literally like ninety five minutes of cutscenes in that game. I can't I can't? I bought the video game. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love a video game experience. It's kind of like a movie. Darren and I have loved Uncharted. You know what I mean? And that kind of idea, but like. But that's due to the gameplay, not due to the cutscenes. And, and I found, like, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I when I got back into video games, it was probably around that 2013, 2014 time frame. You know, fell in love with Skyrim, fell in love with, with the beginning of the Ezio trilogy with the Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood. Uh, but just, like I said, Revelations was kind of a bummer, and Assassin's Creed 3 was even more so. so. But, the, yeah, but, but the whole, but the, uh, the, our Assassin's Creed survived that, right? I mean, it. Oh, I don't even think oh, yeah. that was you renowned. Like, that wasn't even bad. That's a personal opinion. I think everybody knows the biggest flaming turd that came out of the Assassin's Creed was Unity, which was the French oh, yeah. Revolution backdrop. Um, and that is notoriously bad, like notoriously uh, poorly reviewed. And they've been fine since then. I mean, they've had Origins. They had Origins was great. Valhalla. Yeah. Uh, and well, I haven't, that I haven't, was fun. I haven't played those because those are on, on the, the new generation systems, and I'm still stuck on a PS3. So... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, you how I, many well, times I play video games? To point it out, I mean, 3 was followed up by Black Flag, which is possibly the best in the series, in my opinion. Yep. I think a lot of people would agree with you. So, yeah. See, I didn't play Black Flag because I agreed with you. I wasn't a big fan of the boats. It's Couldn't much better in 4. It's oh. much better. It's refined in Black Flag. I skipped, I skipped Black Flag, and I didn't play one again until Origins. Oh, Black Flag's amazing. Odyssey. 
but I've never played it because video games. <laughs> Gary? Well, my, again, I don't know if this falls into the category of soul crushing, but this has been, let's see, since 1989, and it still bothers me to this day. I'm referring to Nintendo, Nintendo Entertainment Systems, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Game was fine. Love the game. It's that last board when you get into the Terror Dome. You got to make your way through to find Shredder. You get wiped out, and you got to start the whole freaking level over again. I think I made it to Shredder maybe twice. Was wiped out immediately, and it just it, it was so frustrating that I just I think I put it away and never went back. Fine game otherwise, especially for the time, but. It's one of those things, like, couldn't they just, like, restart me right outside the door? Like, I already did all this other crap. Can I, can I just not do this stuff again? No. We're going to start you over, go through it all over again, and you might make it there just to get wiped out as soon as you walked in the door. So, 1989's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <sighs> oh. I know. I'm sad. It was April 2012. I was excited because motion controls were a thing. I'm a Star Wars fan. Made sense. Maybe I'll get actually mess around with a lightsaber in a game. Connect Star Wars is announced. Four games in one. It's going to be great. Let's talk about Connect Star Wars, everyone. Did any of you guys actually play this thing? No. Nope. Well, I did. And I regret every moment of it. First, there are four games that you could play. You could uh, do uh, either be like a Padawan and play with a lightsaber and like learn some things. Uh, there's a second Jedi-centric mode in which you like dueled like Vader. Um, you could race pod racers. The final game is what broke me. <laughs> Galactic Dance-Off. In which you got to dance along with songs such as Hologram Girl, based off of Gwen Stefani's Holoback Girl, Empire Today, which was YMCA, I Am Han Solo, based off of Jason Derulo's Riding Solo, and it was bad. <laughs> I need more, Phil. Give me more. Those are the ones I remember. <laughs> this is awful. It's so bad. And, like, they, they were lazy about it, too. I ain't no hologram girl. I ain't no hologram girl. That's all they did. That was, that was the main change to the lyrics. Are you, like, looking them up right now, Mark? For your I am. Change? I absolutely am. <laughs> oh, you should. <laughs> they would change them slightly to add, like, I ain't no Jawa or things like that. And... I died inside every single time. And that's beside the point that, like, the lightsaber stuff was crappy. If you moved your hand too fast, it wouldn't keep up with you. So you had to move like this to actually use the lightsaber. And if anybody can't see me, unlike the guys in the call, I'm slowly moving my hand back and forth like a wave. Because that's how you had to do it. If you actually tried to swing your arm at all, the lightsaber would jump around the screen. Um, it was bad. 
it was bad. It was around the time of those prequel movies, so I should have known better. But it was Star Wars, and I would be able to live in Star Wars. I'd be able to do these things. Instead, I got to dance I'm Han Solo in front of Jabba the Hutt. Uh, apparently, there's songs in Huttese on here. Oh, dude, it's bad. Bad. It's bad. I think it's critically known as bad. Was anyone but... else hearing a bird? Yes. Hearing what? A bird. Yeah, there's there's a bird outside my my room. Oh, okay. okay. It's not it's not from anything else. Uh, so yes, my disappointing game is connect star wars so on your own free time if you have not done so before book up the music all right that wraps it up our soul crushingly disappointing video games it hurt Um, me yeah this this is not a list we technically want to revisit and let's all hope for our sakes that there are no upcoming video games that find their way onto what could be another list. But speaking of lists, Phil? Yeah, so this is a list we've been doing for, man, like the whole duration of this podcast, which is Stick, Stuck, Pick, Sayonara, or known as SSPS, where we actually talk about the comic books that we're reading. You know, the whole purpose we started this podcast, ooh, 10-ish years ago. We'll circle back to that in a little while. So I'm going to kick this off with my sticks, uh, quickly followed by the other guys. We're going to be pretty quick about our sticks. So from Marvel, I'm sticking with my, again, things that we're sticking with are comics that are just fine. We're reading. We might get rid of them soon. Uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Savage, Spider-Man, Strange, Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse, What If, Miles Morales, and from Image, Firepower. Those are my current sticks. Darren? For my sticks, I have From Image, Radiant Black, and from DC's Black Label, The Nice House on the Lake. Gary? That's it? Wow. Okay. My stick list, <clears throat> uh, from Marvel, Patch. Uh, also from Marvel, Sabretooth. Um, DC's Deathstroke Incorporated. Dark Horse's We Have Demons. Um, I've made it, I have issues one and two. I've only read one looking forward to two, uh, top cow is metal society. Mad caves, Nottingham, uh, was not expecting that to go past issue five, but it's, uh, an ongoing now. Uh, my IDW transformers and transformers wars end. Um, honestly, I've picked those up and I don't think I've read the last five, but I'm still getting them. Magic, the gathering from boom studios. Step by Bloody Step from Image. Twig from Image. Uh, that's a new one. Um, only one issue so far. We'll see how that's going to go. And uh, Moon Knight's Black, White, and Blood came out. Um, I was expecting more. So that's my stick. Matthew. Uh, well, the reason that I have these down in stick is not that I'm disinterested in them. I just haven't been able to read anything uh, as of later. At least I've not taken the time to. So um, one of them was one that's been on my pick list for a couple months, which is going to be Batman Night uh, from DC. So that's one that I really, really enjoyed. I just, I, like I said, I just haven't had much time to, to go about reading it. Excellent, Darren. 
Uh, he's holding up a copy of it. And then the other one is the one of the other ones I've been reading quite a bit, or at least sticking with rather is going to be uh, Darth Vader from Marvel. Um, there's a crossover with Crimson Rain that I'll talk about a little bit later in this, but that's been a nice little uh, run. And see, I mentioned before that I read the entire um, Bounty Hunters saga with uh, transferring Han Solo uh, between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Uh, which is that 37 issue behemoth and Darth Vader was the one that I really stuck with afterwards. Uh, Crimson Ray was an offshoot of that. Um, but those are the ones I'm sticking with. All right, Mark, I know you're not really reading anything right now, right? Like you're good. Unfortunately, my last month of life has been hell. So I have not read anything. I have not watched any new TV shows. Um, I'm going to say that Radiant Black looks really interesting. So I might have to check that out. And I, uh, as soon as Gary said Deathstroke Inc., I didn't know that was a thing. I'm, I'm looking into that. I'm like, well, I love me some Slade Wilson. So <coughs> things I might have to start looking into. All right. Well, cool. Moving into our stuck books that we are we have no interest in getting rid of. They're quite worth the read. Uh, starting with Marvel's Amazing Spider-Man, we are going into a new arc in which there is a span of time that something happened with Peter Parker. And we don't know what that time is, so it's kind of cool. Uh, some stuff went down. Stuck on Daredevil. I don't need to say much. It's still Marvel. Daredevil has been consistently, consistently good. Uh, from IDW, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, my one IDW book. It has stat, sat on stuck pretty much since I started reading it. Um, they're dealing a little bit more with Mutant Town and kind of like as it's falling apart. Uh, Image, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. It's a Rick Remender book. Very brutal. Very, very good. Um, Monstrous has stuck on my stuck list for quite a while. Gary is also reading this. Um, it's good. Uh, the Scumbag, another Rick Remender, uh, mentioned earlier in the month as an Eisner nomination as kind of a weird comedy. Um not for kids. Stay far away if you are a child. Crossover, which surprised me. I kind of sped up and got caught up. Another image book uh, by Donny Cates, well-known for his Venom run. Uh, it is this like meta thing in which comic books are bleeding into the real world and someone is killing comic book creators. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Deadly Class from Image. We're running into the last few issues, sadly. It's been an ongoing Rick Remender book that I love very much. Uh, Alice Ever After, which is a Boom Studios comic. Uh, Gary posted about the first issue. I somehow missed the second, so I am, that is going to get into my collection come next week, as well as number three. Uh, it's just Alice from Alice in Wonderland as an adult uh, dealing with a kind of a drug problem. It's kind of cool. Uh, and lastly, Stranger Things Kamchatchka, uh, which is kind of like in, I'm, I'm assuming it's a stopgap before season four. I've not started season four of Stranger Things, so I do not know. That is my stuck pile. Darren? One of, uh, Matt already mentioned, Batman the Night. That's from DC. Uh, Adventure Man. This is from Image Comics. Uh, the Human Target. There's an Eisner Award nominee. Uh, that's from DC's Black Label. The Dark Knights of Steel, uh, that is the medieval retelling of uh, the DC Universe, I guess is what, what it is. Um, Superman 78, it is over, but I haven't quite finished it yet, so I'm stuck on that for sure. Batman 89, same thing. Canto Lionhearted, that is from IDW. And that is my stockpile. All right. Well, I'm going to try to go through mine uh, in order of like 
ones I've had on here before, and then try to put fewer <laughs> ones at the end. So uh, Canto, uh, also on my stuck list, um, currently on hiatus, I believe. Uh, Knights of the Golden Sun, Mad Cave. Monstrous, Image. Uh, Moon Knight, Marvel. Lady Mechanica, Image. The Scumbag, by Image. Dark Knights of Steel, DC. Noctera, Image. Um, new one for me, as Phil mentioned, Alice Ever Aster. <laughs> Aster? Alice Ever After by Boom Studios. IDW's Rocketeer is actually uh, quite good. Um, also, <laughs> a new one by Image called Loaded Bible. Um, the Church has made Dracula Pope, and only a clone of Jesus can stop him. Not since Ninjesus has there been a butt-fucking Jesus around. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Loaded Bible and uh, Rocketeer, Alice Ever After. Yeah, those are my uh, my newer ones, but they are on my stuck list. Right. Matt. Yeah, mine's going to be uh, more television-oriented. It's something my wife and I can do together. Um, but these are shows that I am not watching with her currently, which is why I'm stuck on them, and they're not going to be my picks at the moment. So uh, the first one is going to come on Paramount+. Plus. Um, I'm obviously a person who really enjoys movies, especially movies from what a lot of people consider the zenith of film, which is going to be the 1970s. So if you're interested, you should watch The Offer. Uh, the Offer is a dramatic retelling of how The Godfather, uh, the initial Godfather was made. Um, it focuses primarily on a character by the name of Al Ruddy, who is the producer of the Godfather movie and uh, kind of all the toils and, and frustrations that he has to deal with in trying to get that movie created. Uh, fantastic. Obviously, it's under the Paramount label, which is why they could go ahead and tell that story. Um, but it is based on his memoir, and it's, it's really, really interesting, especially if you love the Godfather movies, which I do. Um, the other one is going to be on Disney+. Plus. Uh, should come as no shock to anybody. We're pretty much on brand here, but it's Obi-Wan. I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, it's not my pick overall, but I'm really having a good time with it, especially uh, I've been, I know we kind of all gave a statement as to where we are on it. Um, I think most of us are at least up to episode three if we are currently watching it. Um, that was a lot of fun to watch. That episode was a lot of fun to watch. So, yeah, uh, those are my stuck. All right. Going to jump over our good friend Mark because oh, has... I actually have one. Ooh. I I'm going to say that uh, Obi-Wan is my stuck right there because that's the one show i have gotten to watch and i've been quite happy with how it's played out so far yeah. okay i still need to tackle that because i have not perhaps you have by this point probably not let's be real all right i still gotta watch boba fett um so no, my my pick my pick I think this is just going to kind of live here for a little while unless something really dethrones it. And that is Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staple. Like, guys, guys, this book took a, what? Four-year hiatus and came back just without... It didn't miss a beat. It is such solid storytelling. Such lovable and hateable characters the pacing is fantastic every single issue truly does feel like a chapter or two from a novel if you have not read saga you are doing yourself a disservice and honestly if you if you are okay with some adult themes and some adult imagery 
you have to tackle this. The current story arc of dealing with a major death that happened at the end of the, the last push toward the hiatus um, and the spiraling off of that family um, and the continued hunting down of the mixed child is just... It, it is such powerful writing and it just pulls you in. So pick up Saga. There are seriously 53 <laughs> issues now, I think. Uh, something along that line. Um, you have a lot that you can get caught up on and they are collected um, in some pretty decent sized collections that you can get uh, large hardbound ones or otherwise. So, sorry, 59 was the issue that I just read. So there's quite a bit out there. So pick it up. Read it. Read it. I cannot. I cannot. I, and have any of you guys read it at all? Matt? Yeah, I think I've read. I, no, I was doing it by trade paperback. So I think I've gotten the first six or seven of them. I think six. So, yeah. So you're, you probably finish at 54. Uh, maybe not. Yeah, I think honestly it went up to eight or nine before it finished out. Because oh. I think there's only about like maybe maybe six to eight episodes issues for trade paperback. But well, I yeah, have to go I, back and look. I read the first. <laughs> I read the first fifty four through trade. That's mm -hmm. how I read it as well. Oh, okay. Um, but I've been reading. I had to convince myself to get single issue because I wanted to keep collecting it in trade, and I do not regret the decision. Right. So definitely keep going, Matt. Like it doesn't. It doesn't get bad. Nice. That's my pick. Darren? Who wants to take a guess? I uh, think I know this one. Go ahead, Matt. Um, is it from is it Boom Studios? Uh yes it is. Alright. Is it uh take talk about Arthurian legend? Oh yeah. Alright, go ahead, Darren. Once in future, everybody <laughs> continuing that just I, you know, I've kind of run out of superlatives to describe this book. It caught me by surprise when I saw it. Um, I saw like issue three was previewed on one of my Flipboard channels. And I went, what's issue three? What is this? Why do I not have issues one and two? And I immediately went on eBay and got those and signed up for it. And man, it's just been so awesome. The the artwork, the writing is just I, I, I don't want to say too much because I know some of you are reading it and I don't want to give anything away. And <clears throat> I, it's just been consistently fantastic. It's not lost a beat. They I don't know how long, how long a life it has. Looked like it was getting ready to wrap up and they introduced a thread that you now know can conceivably and legitimately and logically keep going. So I'm excited to keep going with Once in Future. Gary. My pick is uh, Deadpool bad blood um rob leifeld's back on the uh creative team here um this is sort of a no, i says it's a current story with flashback <laughs> to old, like new mutant <laughs> time so you see you know cable with like the leifeld style drawing you know there's uh Sam Guthrie, you know, the cannonball, um, Warpath is still there. Like, so there's, there's a lot of flashback to like when Deadpool was still a villain, basically. 
So th- this particular story, you know, him and Domino are working together. They're looking for a thing, and it like the flashbacks, like, well, this isn't the first time I've been looking for this weapon. And then they go to you know however many years ago, and they go back, and it, it kind of, um, you know, I, I collected X Force from you know the issue one, you know, a couple New Mutants prior to that. Um, so it, it, it kind of, I don't want to say hit a heartstring, but it, it hit me in a, uh, a good spot, you know, it t- took me back to a, a good time, I guess. And so far the story is, uh, is entertaining and I'm, I'm liking the drawing style and, uh, I need, need some good Deadpool in my life. So Deadpool bad blood is my pick. Nice. I actually have a pick for this one. Darren uh, sort of stole my thunder. I was, uh, I picked up book one of Once in Future recently in Deluxe Hardcover, and uh, oh my god. You like it? Okay. <laughs> it is the first modern comic book I've read in quite a while, and I'm hooked. Um, the artwork is phenomenal, absolutely amazing, just the right amount of stylization, just the right amount of detail. The writing is on point, the characters and dialogue are fantastic. I mean... It's just absolutely amazing. So far, the only thing I have not enjoyed is some of the character design towards the end of book one kind of threw me off a little bit, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. But it's definitely my pick. It's definitely something I'm sticking with moving forward. I'm more of a trade paperback guy myself or collected edition, but this is one I'm going to be desperately waiting for the next installment. I'm glad you like it. Love it. Great, uh, Great advice you guys gave me on that one a while back. <laughs> it's been my pick of the year two years in a row, and it has been my uh, stick with or my pick of the month every month since it came out. So how dare you, sir, say I stole your thunder? Hey, I thought I just had something that I was going to be able to talk about first. <laughs> Not first, but you know what I mean. I know it's old hat, but I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm repeating I'm somebody like else's I kinda, words. <laughs> I, can't, I kind of felt like this was a layup for you. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's I know, Matt, you're reading it, too. It's yeah, so you cool. get what I meant. Yeah. yeah, I need to get caught up again, but you're right. I've enjoyed every every issue of it so far. Yeah, like, uh, I think the only... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go uh, ahead. I say the, the only thing I haven't enjoyed is I don't know how I felt about, you know, Lancelot looking like Spider-Man 2099. That bugged the crap out of me. But other than that, oh, yeah, that was I, I really like that, that. That's what I mean. Like that and then Arthur showing up looking like a comic book supervillain didn't really mesh with the rest of the design to me. They, so Keep reading. You'll, you'll, okay. uh, you, you'll, it'll make sense. Yeah, the, the Lancelot thing, though, just bugged the crap out of me. <laughs> but it wasn't enough for me to stop reading it or not like it. It's amazing. I can't speak all of it for more than a second. So... Yeah. Well, uh, that is a fantastic choice. It is not my pick for this month. My pick is actually going to be, again, a television show. You're going to like I said, you're going to do a pattern here. And I'm not going to belabor it too much. It's probably the most popular streaming show uh, at the moment right now. And it, of course, is Stranger Things Season 4, uh, released on May 27th. We get the first seven uh, installments for Season 4. Uh, the remaining two, I believe it's Episodes 8 and 9, which I, if I'm saw it correctly episode nine is two hours and 20 minutes long <laughs> uh will not be released until july 1st uh the first couple episodes of the season have kind of like maxed out at about 45 or 50 minutes respectively however the last couple episodes and i am currently on episode six uh have been over the hour mark so they're getting a little bit longer in the tooth uh both as a show and also just kind of in general as, as the length of the shows itself uh, but it is fantastic i 
I didn't know if I was going to really be digging it too much. I kind of, I don't know. I've enjoyed every season so far, but I just wondered if it was just too much for me and I just wasn't really feeling it. We started watching it and I've been just, I mean, I really, really look forward to watching it. So it's excellent, excellent show. Season four is fantastic. It's been really, really entertaining. It took a minute to get going for me. Like I was concerned because I have loved like so much the first three seasons. Like I anticipating it to me, I think might've been cause it was just gone for so long. 2019, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a while. Yeah. It's kind of like the Sopranos used to do that. You watched the Sopranos, right, Matt? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I think I've seen every episode. Remember when they did that back in the day? Like you'd be, they'd be gone for two years, and by the time it rolls around, you're like, oh yeah. I mean, I remember liking it a lot, and it takes you a while to go, oh yeah, okay. And it took me a little bit to get back into this, and now I'm like, yeah, it's 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 great again. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. I've been I've been really enjoying it. I'm just going to apologize to Matt. I realized I preempted you in the order. I, I, I'm sorry about that. For some reason, I had in my head that I went after uh, Gary. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> totally sorry about that, man. I, I'm tired. I should not have had a drink before this. <laughs> it happens. All of us should have a drink before this. Yes. And during. And after. And All right. Day. So let's 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 finish this with our sayonaras. Uh, <laughs> I have three. Um, my first is Oblivion Song, 36 issues, it is wrapped. And it's very strong. Uh, Robert Kirkman did a good job. It was really solid. Uh, that is a Image Comic. <laughs> Devil's Reign, which was the first in a long time comic book event that I truly enjoyed from beginning to end. Uh, spiraling out of Daredevil, so, so good. And lastly, Sayonara to Step by Bloody Step. Uh, Gary, you must be an issue behind still. Since yeah. Still in there. Um, I think it is one of those comics that it's worth reading all four issues back to back. Because there's no dialogue and it's all a story told through art. Um, it's quite good, honestly. So give it a go. So those are my three, which makes me down to 17 comics that I'm collecting for the first time in God knows how long. So uh, that's it. Darren? Uh, from Boom Studios, uh, Sayonara to regarding the matter of Oswald's body, which is Lee Harvey Oswald, a uh, follow-up to the Kennedy assassination because it's over. And from Aftershock, Sayonara to Maniac of New York, the Bronx is burning because it too is over. Gary? My Sayonara uh, has two. Um, I think I'm going to call it on uh, Jules Verne's Lighthouse by Image and Parasomnia by uh, Dark Horse. Um, I, I, I was interested in these, and honestly, I, I, I haven't read them yet. Um, I ended up picking up Parasomnia in, in a trade because I, I was missing a lot of issues. And Lighthouse, I just kept forgetting about it, and I got so far behind that it would be hit or miss on whether I would actually find an issue somewhere. And I just, I just don't, I guess, care enough to really follow it up. So I'll, I'll read what I have here, and I don't know, maybe, maybe it'll uh, change my mind, but I think I'm just going to stop looking. Didn't care enough to read it, so Lighthouse and... Parasomnia. That was a colon bun. 
book, which is what made me pick it up in the first place. And I got just never uh, other things. I always wanted to read other things more. I guess that was. I'll tell you, Colin Bunn is hit or miss. Yeah, Lucky Devil was really good. I mean, a couple other things he's written I've really liked. Just uh, like again, it was one of those things. I think I picked. I, I think I picked up like issues two and three and missed number one, and then missed like the next three. So I got it as a collected edition. Think I was all caught up, and then just missed whatever came out afterwards. And so never put it on a pull list. So apparently, I didn't need to. So that's my Sayonaras. Matt. Um. Yeah, I'm saying Sayonara. One of the things that Darren said is, well, I haven't yet started it, so I still <laughs> I can't say Sayonara to it entirely. But uh, Bronx is burning. Uh, obviously, those are in short little runs, so that's going to be gone. Uh, also, Crimson Rain is going to be ending here on June 22nd. So I'm um, going to say Sayonara to that one. Of course, that's from Charles Sewell and uh, Marvel's um, Marvel. Uh, Charles Sewell seems to be like the print version of David Filoni. What David Filoni is to Star Wars TV, Charles Sewell is to... Uh, Star Wars print. So I'm going to say goodbye to that. I will actually do have a sayonara um, for a little preemptive like yourself, Matt. Uh, my wife and I have been Peaky Blinders fans for a while, and season six drops tomorrow on Netflix. So we'll be bidding that a fond farewell as it will be its final. All right. Very nice. All right. So same sign art to all those books and those are all the things that we're reading matt what did you watch yeah so um kind of sticking with the video game theme that we've been doing this month uh, i thought it'd be interesting since i'm not a massive gamer by any stretch of the imagination um you know i think i've fallen headfirst into a couple of video game series since i picked up ps3 which is still my current uh game console so it tells you how often i really play video games uh, I fell headfirst into Skyrim, and then my other one has been Assassin's Creed, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and be doing a retroactive review of the film Assassin's Creed, which came out in 2016. I'm going to first do a brief synopsis of the plot itself, and then I'm going to go into a little bit of some of the critical uh, responses to it, touch on some of the numbers of what it didn't do at the box office, and then kind of give my current take on, on whether or not I believe the film was actually as bad as it was reviewed, or if I think that possibly it just uh, was one of those things that people just jumped on the bandwagon for. All right, so the film Assassin's Creed 3, as I said, or Assassin's Creed came out in 2016. It stars Michael Fassbender, as well as Jeremy Irons. Marianne Cotillard and uh, Brendan Gleeson. A couple of other folks you might recognize in there would be people like Michael K. Williams of The Wire fame, uh, the late Michael K. Williams, I'm sorry, of The Wire fame. And uh, yeah, so that it starts off in 19 or in 1492, rather. And if that name or that number seems familiar, it's because that actually will play a part later in the film. In Andalusia, which would obviously be in southern Spain, we follow the character of Aguiar as he is accepted into the Assassin Brotherhood and is assigned to protect the prince, uh, the prince of the sultan at this time. We then jump forward into 1986 and we are following Cal. Uh, so if you've played the video game at all, you know that we played uh, the modern character Desmond Miles. He does not appear in the film at all. Uh, they have Cal, Callum Lynch. Um, and what we do is we see him trying to um, basically do uh, some sweet jumps off of a building <laughs> to another uh, high piece of, of 
structure there, uh, only to fall down. So we already get the impression that he is a bit of a daredevil. Uh, he rides his bike home with some wounds, only to find that his mother is dead at the hands of his father. Uh, then we jump forward a little bit to what would be considered modern day for the film, that is 2016, and Cal is on death row. Um, they haven't released it right away, uh, but it is, or they haven't released the information right away, but we later find out that Cal is sentenced to be killed because he murdered a pimp. Um, he did not die, though. Uh, Miracle Max worked his magic, and he was only partially dead. Not fully dead. No, of course, it's not Miracle Max. Um, but we find out instead that it's Abstergo that takes his body into Spain. And uh, they tell him that he actually is a genetic descendant of the person that we saw at the very beginning of the film, which is Aguilar or Aguiar, depending on how you want to pronounce it. All right. So she then, uh, Marion Cotillard's character, uh, explains to Cal's character that she, uh, the Templars are currently searching for something known as the Apple. If you played any of the games, you are clearly uh, familiar with what the Apple of Eden is. Uh, and they, the idea is that this is going to end violence uh, and give people a world without violence. Um, in reality, what we later find on is that it's actually going to remove the idea of free will from humanity and thus uh, the idea that violence is an opportunity for people. Um, like I said before, Cal is meant to be a descendant of Aguiar or Aguilar. Um, basically what it is, is, is he has these genetic memories uh, and, and I'll talk about the machine here in a moment that allows us to access our genetic memories. Um, but basically what he's allowed to do is access the memories of his descendants through his own genetics, uh, which is kind of an interesting idea by putting himself in the animus and that's a machine that allows him to access these memories and actually interact with the memories as if he were one of his uh, genetic forebearers. Now, this is where the film went a little bit different. So um, how many of us, uh, just to show of hands real quick, how many of us played Assassin's Creed on any level, like for the original ones, like the, okay, so you guys all for the most part played it. Uh, you guys know that the animus is a, a pretty much a bed on which you lay down, almost looks like you could get it uh, from Ikea um, a little bit, but you lay down and then you put something on your head and then you jump into the animus. Um, that's not what this is. Instead, this is a fairly large robotic arm that kind of wraps him around the waist and allows him the freedom of movement. So it's it's both physical and mental, which is kind of an interesting thing. I know when we switch it over to the movie medium, uh, chances are we're going to catch something just a little bit different. Uh, so that is how they kind of changed it up for the film itself, which I thought was kind of a nice touch. Uh, it just kind of makes it their own. Um, we go back to 1492 then as, as Cal Lynch uh, jumps into his jumps into Aguilar's body. We are introduced to Maria, who is going to be um, his counterpart when he goes back to 1492, and this is going to be played by uh, an actress. Um, looking at her name real real quick here for us because she actually does a really really nice job in the film itself, uh, and that's Ariane Lebed. Um, she's actually one of the high water marks of the film. I thought she did a really really nice job. Um, but at any rate. Uh, Cal's descendant, Aguilar, is supposed to have been one of the last people to touch the Apple of Eden that I brought up before. Um, so therefore, it's kind of incumbent upon him to try to find out where the Apple was last placed. So by him accessing these memories, the idea is that he's going to be able to lead the current Templars of modern day to where the possible the resting place is for the Apple currently. Um, They're basically deployed to rescue the prince at this point, um, which is, it gets into a scene that's like a chasing on the cart, which is really cool because it's truly a hearkening back to what the video games look like. And I can remember specifically the, the video gameplay that they were definitely trying to um, 
kind of like show again, but in movie form. So I thought that was a little bit of fan service there. And I thought that was really, really cool. Um, so at any rate, uh, we do that. And this is when we're introduced to a real character, uh, Tokamata, um, which I don't know. Has anybody ever seen History of the World Part 1? Can't talk about it. Yeah, Tokamata. You can't talk about it. Compassion. Tokamata, do not beg him for forgiveness. Tokamata, do not ask him for mercy. Let's face it. You can't talk about anything. So at any rate, uh, that made me laugh when I saw him. But that's kind of another thing that that, that Assassin's Creed films do. Um, so full disclosure, I got into the, the games themselves by teaching AP European history to some students. Uh, and they started giggling as I was as I was talking about people like Machiavelli and uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And they said, boy, you've got to really play Assassin's Creed 2, which was my introduction into the whole video game series itself. Uh, so playing on, on real life characters, um, I'm sorry, real life people and placing them into the story is kind of their, their bag. It's certainly really, really interesting. Uh, regardless, the Sultan is said to be in control of the apple. So by stealing his son, the prince, uh, the belief is that he'll surrender that apple over to Tokamata and, and the Templars at that time. Um, so at any rate, uh, he gets pulled out into modern day. This is when we start to meet some of the other assassins, uh, who are living in the facility, the Absurgo facility with him. This is where, again, we are kind of met with, uh, we understand Michael K. Williams' character a little bit more. Um, we also understand that he's going to be experiencing these things called hallucinations, or no, I'm sorry, called bleeding effect that are similar to hallucinations. Um, and it's where the distance between Cal and Aguilar kind of like starts to shrink a little bit and they start to kind of combine into one character. Um, the bleeding effect is something that they definitely played upon in the video game. So to carry over to this um, was, a, was an easy, easy jump there for sure. Um, we find out that, that uh, Sophia, who is played by Marianne Cotillard, uh, her mother was also killed by an assassin. Um, then we're jumping back into the Animus. Uh, and Aguilar and Maria are scheduled for an execution at an auto de fe, um, but they manage to free themselves. And this is actually really, really interesting. This is a really fun scene that they do. <laughs> so I can see Carrie is reliving the history of the world part two, or part one rather, uh, as I'm walking through this. Um, but it's great. Uh, this scene is really fantastic. It's awesome. They're going to burn them at the stake, but of course uh, they get out of it. And it kind of leads again. This is like a, a little bit of fan service for the gamers and stuff like that as he does it. And as he introduced to the leap of faith, uh, which if you definitely played the game, then, then or I'm sorry, if you played the game, you definitely remember it because it's a really, really cool experience. Uh, and he does it and then is wrenched out of the animus. Um, we find out that Cal's father is also housed at the facility. Uh, in which allows Cal to confront Joseph, his father, Joseph, about the death. Uh, we find out that Cal's mom was also an assassin and was not actually murdered by the father so much as she asked the father to kill her. And essentially the father made the ultimate sacrifice of killing the woman that he loved at her, at her request. Um, Cal then decides that this is enough information for him to just go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and find that apple for Abstergo. Uh, which is what the current assassins, the descendants, were, were worried about, the other inmates at the Abstergo. Um, basically, he, he jumps into the Animus willingly, which allows him to go full bore into this. Um, he confronts Tokamata. They, uh, they have a battle scene, which is really, really beautiful. Unfortunately, Maria dies. Um, they go back and forth. Aguilar has to kill this character, Ojeda, which is really, really interesting. It's beautiful. Um, and uh, basically what we have here is that 
we are kind of thrust now into a really interesting part of the film in which we are again marrying uh, reality and fiction. Uh, we find out that the 1492 number is very important because Aguilar gives the apple to anybody care to guess. Christopher Columbus. There you go. Nailed it. Exactly right. In in probably the scene that I would assume caused the most amount of groaning in the, the film itself, uh, where he's going to take it to his grave. Um, this uh, leads a all-out riot in modern-day Abstergo. Uh, Jeremy Irons and Marianne Cotillard's characters narrowly escape uh, on a... Um, uh, out of a helicopter, only to have Michael Fassbender's character awkwardly jump out of the top of the building and watch them as they fly off. Uh, really just an opportunity. It's a gratuitous shot to show up how, how ripped he ended up getting for the film itself. Um, at any rate, for some reason, and, and I'm not entirely sure why, uh, Cal has an opportunity to interact with his mom. Uh, not only is he experiencing visions, but she's also given the opportunity for a fairly long monologue, um, which is... We have to suspend a lot of disbelief with this film, but this is the part where it starts to get a little bit groany and a little bit eye-rolling. Uh, but nonetheless, she tells him basically that uh, that the fate of the assassins lies in his hands and that basically he's got to go recover the... the uh, he's got to get to the apple before, before the Templars do. Of course, he does not. Uh, the Templars recover uh, the apple from Columbus's, uh, Columbus's burial site, uh, and then we quickly jump to London, because why not? Uh, in which uh, there is an order of the Templars in their meeting, and the apple starts to go off similar as what it would have done at the end of Assassin's Creed II when we see it. Uh, and then this leads to Sophia realizing what her father's true intentions were and that um, that she now doesn't really align with his values necessarily. She befriends Cal a little bit more. She allows him to get up to this stage to kill Jeremy Irons' character and to take the uh, apple for himself. The way that the film ends is actually kind of is definitely leading into what was going to be a sequel at this point. Um, but based on the critical reviews, which I'm not going to read a whole bunch of them, I'm just going to read a couple of brief uh, pieces to it. Um, Time magazine said that Assassin's Creed's movie is fairly innocuous. It's also cheerless and dumb. Hmm. The Guardian mentioned that it was created simply to gouge money from the gamers. Uh, it has a 5.6 rating on IMDb and an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it was pushed back three separate times and was held for months before it was actually released. Uh, it grossed only $54.6 million domestically and lost Sony and Ubisoft Studios between $75 and $100 million. Um, so that was a brief synopsis of the film and a little bit of its uh, critical um, lack of acclaim, I guess I should say. But looking back on the film itself, uh, it's kind of what I talked about um, when I was talking about Batman the Night, uh, was how I felt like, you know, it's a good story and all that, but I feel like it would almost be more interesting if it didn't take place in this world. And that's true of the Assassin's Creed film itself uh, as well. I feel like that's definitely a movie that, you know, if you didn't really have anything connected to it, and this was this was a similar sentiment that was shared on on uh, a podcast that I was listening to that was talking about Assassin's Creed film as well, which is called Blank Check. Um, but they kind of were saying something to this similarly, which is like, if this happened absent of the Assassin's Creed universe, right? If this was not 
there. This would be a film that people would actually be flipping out about, that they'd really, really enjoy. The problem is that it was almost saddled with its too high of expectations. And also the perception that a video game movie is always going to flop. It's never going to do well. I think that's a that's a story that's definitely been told in the you know 1990s, 20, 21st century, of course. We know most video game movies are not successful. Um, so, so I think people were ready to kind of dump some dirt on it, uh, bury it a little bit early. Um, but in all, on all reality, the film itself is not bad. There are some components of it that certainly don't work and that are really, really hard to swallow. Um, but for the most part, the film is, you know, entertaining. I, I saw it at the time. I didn't see it in the theater. You know, I saw it when it was released, um, on streaming services, pretty much right away when it was released on streaming services. Uh, and, and I thought it was okay, you know, as a, as a, as a fan of the video game series, I thought it was all right. Um, as a person who sat down and rewatched it, you know, six years after its initial theater release, uh, I actually didn't mind it. Um, you know, I, I had to purchase a, a rental for it, which is $4. And, and I didn't think that it was money wasted by any stretch of imagination, but, um, yeah, I thought all, all in all, I thought it was an interesting idea. I, I think the movie, like I said, it works on some levels and, and certainly doesn't on others. Um, but I guess I, what I wanted to do with a little bit of this retroactive review, and we don't have to expound on it too much, is just the idea of, you know, why do we think video game movies have such a hard time making the jump from from one medium to the next? It's not as if, you know, video games, there's a visual component to it. There's a clear storyline component to it. You would think that the movies that that leap from one um one experience to the next would not be so difficult to land, but for whatever reason, video game movies seem to never be able to make that jump successfully. So kind of want to open this up to you guys and have you guys share your thoughts a little bit. Uh, Mark, why don't you go ahead and get us started? I, I think one of the keys there is that the amount of story when you play through a modern video game is a little too much for a 90 to 120 minute film. I think they suffer from the same thing that comic book adaptations sometimes do. I think a video game would probably translate much better as a streaming series like HBO Max is doing with The Last of Us later this year. I think they need the character development and the story to be a bit more slow-paced and refined rather than rushed out the door, which is what usually happens. Yeah, that's fair. And especially when you look at it, but if you're looking at it, of course, of uh, several films, you know, you think you'd be able to tell that story, but it's the same thing that runs into trying to adapt a historical story to the film. It's, it's difficult to include all the information. Phil? Yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it's a control aspect too. So, um, especially on like heavier games, like Assassin's Creed, part of the enjoyment of it is that you are controlling the action, right? Um, versus something that you don't get a lot because Assassin's Creed is a story-driven game, right? But you can take something like Sonic, which those Sonic movies are actually quite enjoyable on a weird level, but Sonic isn't like a story-heavy concept. So I think as we start trying to dive into the, hey, let's make an Assassin's Creed, let's make an Uncharted, let's make these things that are story-driven controlled, uh, you lose a little bit of that. I've heard the Uncharted movie isn't terrible, but um, I, I think it it's falls right. as, as like Assassin's Creed. Like you're just not, you're missing that part of it. Yeah, but you know, from that aspect, a small portion of the people that are going to see the movie and not liking it are gamers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the general movie market. The comic book fans, <laughs> the video game fans aren't the bulk of the people seeing it. That's not where the money is. The money is on snagging Joe Public, who doesn't know this stuff, and just making it cool, or a good story, or good acting. And so, I don't know, somehow they're failing on that level. 
Well, I mean, because I don't think that's the way that the people making the films are looking at it, which I, I think is part of that Marvel DC split too, where it's, if you can make a fun movie, people will see it. People that don't even know the source material will see it. People 100%. will talk about it and say that. The people that you're getting in to see Assassin's Creed are people that are playing the game and then it's going to be word of mouth that'll get your other people in. Um, Uncharted was not like that because, spoiler, Tom Holland is a big star right now. That'll pull you in. So, I mean, I think there's there's the disconnect from the movie studios as well. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a fair counterpoint. But that's part of the reason why like a Horizon Zero Dawn movie kind of like I, I love the thought of it, but the more I think about it, I kind of don't want it to happen. Kind of for that reason, like like the game was so good, the story in that. I mean, are you tell that story, or are you gonna kind of I don't know. You almost have to you know go character introduction for all the people who didn't play the game. That story needs a streaming. There's that. There's no way much. that would be a, a film. Well, and I know you guys are tied to the characters in that too. Would it be beneficial? We kind of talked about this with Star Wars as well. Like, hey, we got this vast universe to kind of like jump into. Let's not try to find. And that that's actually what Assassin's Creed the movie did try to do. They didn't have Desmond Miles be the primary character in the film. You know, they they created a new person, and they you know they they obviously kept the Abstergo piece and and the Animus and stuff like that, which were central to the games itself. Uh, you know, but they did try to venture off and and say like, hey, these you know we're going to use. So a lot of the same beats within this thing, but we're going to try to venture off and do a different story. And you would have thought that might've been successful. But if you're talking about Horizon Zero Dawn or something like that, I mean, you probably want to live within that world, but maybe not necessarily go with the established characters or even have them make a cameo. It seems a little bit too cheesy at this point. Is that yeah. something like, do you agree, disagree? I'm just curious. I think you, I think you had a point on head. It's the, it's the chasing the storyline, right? Like, when we play these games, we've experienced it in a very certain way. And we're trying to recreate that on the big screen doesn't translate well. Uh, Mark, you'd be able to really, like, connect on this. I know the other guys don't watch anime like like we have. It's the idea of going, uh, to, to the same extent, Darren, I saw the, the hand. I don't think you've you've watched quite as much to get the whole... Every single time they try to make a live action version of an anime, they're not always bad, but they lose something. And I think it's the same going yeah. game to movie is that something is lost because there's a creativity that is present in the art form that is video game, that is anime versus big budget movie. Yeah, you lose something stylistically. I think you... Yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. And I think that's where I appreciate some of these. Like, I saw Assassin's Creed in the theater, and I mildly enjoyed it. It wasn't bad. Um, just like uh, one of my other favorite video game translations, I liked Silent Hill. And both of those I liked for the same reason, because they didn't try to emulate the video game precisely, but they obviously respected the hell out of what the game was. Right. And they kind of followed the right beats without following the story. 
Yeah, and, the, and that's just it. I mean, like, I, I think leading up to the film, Michael Fassbender, who wasn't originally necessarily a video game player, but that they really went after, the, the studios really went after, like, really started to embrace this as kind of like a personal project of, like, no, I really want to do the fans a, a service with this film. I really want to kind of tra- stay true to the the central tenets of, of what made the film so appealing to to the mass market and that kind of thing. And, and it really was. I mean, it, it's a, a bit of a... a you know, it's definitely one of the more popular games of the, of the recent memory. But yeah, I mean, it, it's not for a lack of effort, certainly. But for some reason, it always seems to kind of maybe it's the audience they're trying to appeal to. Maybe maybe gamers are just a, a more cynical bunch than maybe book readers are. So when it gets adapted, maybe like book readers are willing to say, well, this is a different medium entirely. And I know they're going to sacrifice some of the things I enjoy uh, for the for the film itself. I just wonder if maybe audiences are a little bit more. Uh, maybe maybe that kind of audience is just going to always be one of the harder audiences to please, maybe because they kind of feel a certain amount of ownership over over the the you know over the the thing itself. You know, we kind of talked about that with Star Wars before. Why do why are responses to Star Wars movies and mm-hmm. Star Wars properties so extreme? Why can't we just say like, man, eh, it was okay, but not great? You know, why does have to, why does it have to be like, oh, it's the worst movie of all time, kind of thing? Um, yeah, because I think that that particular group is so passionate and I think they are so they can sometimes be flat out very, very difficult to please. And they have a certain amount of ownership over over what it is they enjoy. I don't know. And, you know, I also wonder how much of it's word of mouth, too, from reviews when a lot of movie critics seem to have the opinion Roger Ebert had that a video game can't be valid art. Right. And that the second they see video translated from the video game attached to it, they just crap all over it. I mean, you look at some of the reviews of Assassin's Creed, they're wildly exaggerated for how the movie oh, actually is. 100%. And that's why I decided to read that off. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some parts of the film that are absolutely idiotic. You know, yeah, they, I'm not going to argue that, but crazier sure. things happen in the games. <laughs> 100%. Well, and that's just it. And guess what? There's films that I enjoyed that were much stupider than this, you know, and not trying to be. Like, they were accidentally stupid. <sighs> You know, this is not this is not a film that like I'm sure they could have probably found like ten to fifteen minutes to trim off of it, but it's not a film that I ever really was bored during. I mean, it it moves, it, you know, it moves forward pretty quickly. Yeah, I just I was just curious is that you know with regards to the conversation as to why we think that that movies like this that are objectively not terrible films in and of their own right, but somehow seem to to wear this you know, this letter of shame around as, as failures when they really weren't that bad. From a box office standpoint, they 100% are. You know, this this is 100% a flop. There's no two ways about that. Um, and But just as, you know, somebody who kind of enjoys the the world that that is the Assassin's Creed world, I was just kind of a little bit surprised that people were, were as uh, upset about it as it ended up being. I think you made a good point, too, with, like, the dumb stuff. Because, like, I think dumb stuff plays better in games than it does yep. on, on a big screen. Yeah. I mean, think about it the other way around, too. How often do we get a video game based off of a movie that's good? It's rare. Yeah, very rare. I think, I think there's a hard translation there, and it's because different people work on it, and it's a different medium, and that's just the way it's always going to be. Until someone finds the magic wand like they did with the MCU. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's going to nail it someday. <laughs> and, I mean, I think those Sonic movies are doing a decent job, but, again, I think it's a different source. Well, there's that uh, Chris Pratt and Mario Brothers movie coming up. So. Ooh, don't get me started on that. I don't know how I feel about that. Wasn't the first one bad enough? We'll see. Well, it can't be that bad. Well, now oh, I, maybe now that's I'm my next retro bad. review. All right. All right. <laughs> Bob Hoskins, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. All right. I think I need a ripcord before we start talking about Super Mario Brothers, guys. Uh, wow. That was amazing, Matt. Thank you so much for... 
I because I haven't seen the movie, and I think that was a really good conversation that we might actually circle back to in the future. I think it'd be an interesting talk to really go a little more in depth with that. Um, so regardless, uh, that that kind of wraps us for June. Uh, next month is actually a really big month for us. We'll be celebrating. 10 years of at least Darren and I doing this uh, beast of a podcast. And uh, we, we've had these three guys with us for quite a while now as well. Uh, so in July, we'll be celebrating 10 years of the panel scanners. God, Darren, 10 years. Oof. You know, bring back the old hosts for a retro. Yeah. Well, we'll no. there about that. Um, so anyway, um, Regardless, I mean, there's already what five of us. I think I think we have enough people here to to fill time. Uh, remember, until uh, I mean, in a couple weeks, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. And until next time, enjoy your comics. <laughs>